wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's really wonderful uh, to be able to share with you uh, once again. Uh, Look, folks, we'd love to have you uh, join with us. If you'd like to send us a a message, a thought, uh, or just some positive comment, uh, you can do that by texting us. Our text number here in the studio is 04888 Why don't you program that into your phone? So just under drive time, 04-888-808-11. And uh, you can request our book offers. Uh, you can make a comment uh, on anything that occurs in the uh, in the program through your text uh, messaging system. Now, today, our co-host uh, is once again live from Perth in uh, West Oz, and uh, that's Pastor uh, Don Felberg. Now, uh, Don uh, recently retired as the uh, Aboriginal Western District a Regional Leader, uh, and Don on is co-hosting our program every day this week, next week, and the following week. Welcome aboard, Don. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Lovely to be with you and your listeners once again. Ah, uh, it's wonderful to have you on board. You are a greatly appreciated presenter. What's life like in Perth at the present time? Oh, a bit overcast today and a bit cold. Yeah, I have to admit, I went out and I actually tried to get myself back into my uh, walking routine and uh, I, I went out at about uh, 6 a.m. this morning. It was overcast and uh, I have to admit, uh, uh, walking in about uh, 7 degrees uh, is one that does uh, uh, does test the metal just uh, just a little bit, but uh, uh, I do need to get back into this, uh, into this routine. Um, Your ears get a bit frosty in that sort of weather, don't they? Uh, they say certainly do. In fact, I'm getting very close to walking with my hands in my pockets. Uh, not quite, but uh, that's uh, almost where uh, uh, where we're at. Now, uh, Don, look, you're probably one of the most travelled people that I know anywhere. Now, uh, we spoke yesterday about some of your international uh, travels, um, but look, you've done a lot of domestic travel as well. I, I mean, how much territory have you covered here in Australia? Well, uh, we've uh, we've been over a lot of the Northern Territory and the Western Australia, South Australia, but even and and I guess we've been over most of Tasmania. I come from there, and um, and quite a bit of New South Wales as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, you've had access to a lot of uh, wonderful Aboriginal communities, haven't you? I mean, a lot of people don't get opportunity to go, you know, into the genuine outback, but you've certainly gone into the the remotest of the remote Aboriginal communities. I remember going down to Balgo. Balgo's off the Tanami track. Um, the Tanami runs from Halls Creek in the Kimberley right through to Alice Springs. Yeah. But uh, our first visit down there, we went down the Tanami and there past Wolf Crater on the left, one of the biggest meteorite craters in the world. And it's a rough road. We camped beside the Sturt Billabong and in the morning the wild horses came in to drink and... Um, 
And then we went on to Belgo to see a man that I'd met in Kununurra some years before who was very interested in what we call our Jesus posters, mm-hmm. a set of posters um, dealing with some of the biblical themes, but in an Aboriginal setting. And anyway, we found this man, and uh, but not only did we find him, and he wanted to buy more posters and so on, but his sister said, can I sign up to go to your Bible college in Perth, Mamarafa College? Mm-hmm. And uh, he did come, and in fact, later she got baptized, and now her daughter rings me regularly for prayer. And then while we were there showing them the posters and signing up, they said, oh, they said, there's a man in this house right here that's very sick. Could you come in and pray for him? So we were ushered into this house and a big mob of people gathered in there all to observe what was going to happen and uh, it was all quite amazing. And and then from there we went out to a very remote community, Mullen Community, and uh, went out 10 kilometres further to the shore of Lake Gregory to camp and there was not another soul there. Wow. It was just beautiful seeing the boulders and the ducks and the stars so clearly and uh, just a wonderful experience, Pastor Gary. Yeah, yeah. Don, look, one of the things I really appreciate is that it's so easy to care for people physically, you know, care for their physical needs, to turn around and just simply, you know, to give a person uh, uh, money or food, uh, maybe accommodation, that uh, uh, that type of thing. But it's when you start to minister people on their spiritual level that you really get to know them, don't you? Yes. Yes, that's right, and they really appreciate that. Our Aboriginal folk really appreciate that. We've had a number of people ringing up today for prayer. One man standing out of the IC, beside the door of the ICU in the Alice Springs Hospital saying, my grandson was in a fight with her and there was a machete used and... Could you please pray for him? Yeah, yeah. That that is deep caring. I I, I love what you're sharing, uh, sharing there. Um, but Don, look, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment. We're going to come back uh, to some more of your experiences. I think uh, uh, this later this week and, and next week because I know that you've got a great host of them. I know I've I've seen some pictures of uh, uh, that, that you've taken of uh, of camels and donkeys and uh, you know wildlife. That you've actually taken out there, and I, I really appreciate seeing the um, the, the pictures and the presentations that you take, uh, sharing on the way the Lord is leading uh, in uh, the most diverse and remote communities uh, in Australia, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll get you to share some more of those uh, those stories as um, uh, as our days uh, do uh, do continue. But look, our World Watch segment for today. Uh, concerns a uh, an excavation that's currently happening, and I know that you've got a real interest in uh, archaeology. You've got so many interests in, in the whole archaeological area. And this uh, particular yes. article was uh, entitled "Excavation Team in Israel Uncovers the First Known Depiction of Two Old Testament Heroines, Two Ladies." And um, this is what the what the article said. And I'd love to get your feedback on it. An excavation team in Israel has uncovered the first known depiction of two Old Testament heroines. A University of North Carolina and Chapel Hill professor led the excavation team in the Lower Galilee region where a team of specialists and students found the nearly 1,600-year-old mosaics in an ancient Jewish synagogue. 
The excavation project is in its 10th year and this year's efforts are focused on one particular uh, part of the synagogue which experts believe was built in the late uh, 4th or early 5th uh, century. Uh, the, uh, the, the team found a large mosaic panel that depicted the events of Judges chapter 4 where prophetess and judge Deborah and military commander Barak uh, led the Israelites in a victory over the Canaanites. According to the story, Canaanite general Sisera uh, fled to a, to the tent of a Canaanite woman. The woman, Jael, uh, ended up killing Sisera while he slept. The panels show Barak with a shield and Deborah looking over him from under a palm tree. Another part shows Sisera bleeding on the ground. We'll, we'll need some time, they said, to fully explore and understand the significance of the find, but the obvious importance is the depiction of two of female heroines in a prominent place in an ancient synagogue. Previously, excavators um, have found panels depicting Noah's Ark, the parting of the Red Sea, the building of the Tower of Babel, Samson and the foxes, Samson carrying the gate of Gaza on his shoulders, and a panel with a man leading an animal and the translation of the words, a small child shall lead them. Now, you know, Don, as I read uh, that particular article, the thing that really jumped out at me is what that says to me about the, my, the confidence that I can have in the in the scriptures, I mean, how does this impact your confidence in the scriptures? Well, it's the the same way, really. Every discovery just strengthens my confidence that the Bible is trustworthy history. I remember years ago there was an ABC a, a program on the on the a program on biblical archaeology on the ABC. But rather than uh, trying to verify the Bible, they put more questions in people's minds. And I, I remember the, the one of the things that was said was that the Philistine temple that Samson pushed over, recorded also there in the book of Judges, mm-hmm. they said the ruins of that temple have never been discovered. And then the program said, therefore, this story is untrustworthy. And I remember as a young person hearing that and I thought, whoa, that's dangerous ground. Because all the time, more and more discoveries are being made that are confirming the historicity of the Bible. And I thought, what a foolish statement to make. And, um, And, you know, I think of... For example, Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, In the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, and when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him. Mm. Now, years ago when people read that text, they said, Sargon, the king of Assyria, we've heard of Sennacherib and uh, we've heard of, you know, various others, but Sargon, they said, I think that's a made-up one. But then the state of the archaeologists unearthed the the palace of Sargon. Mm. No scholar today questions this reference in Isaiah 20 and verse 1 because mm. the evidence has been found. Mm. But surely we can, we the fact that 
that so much of this has been verified helps us to believe that the what hasn't been verified is trustworthy as well. And likely as not, some discovery will come along like these ones you've just mentioned that give us evidence that it can be trusted. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think, I think, Pastor Gary, of, of another quick example, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 12 and uh, verses 2 to 4, it mentions the story of Shishak, king of Egypt, coming against Jerusalem and then taking some of the fortified cities of Judah. Mm. I've been to Egypt, I've been to the famous Karnak Temple, and I've seen up on the wall there the inscriptions uh, in hieroglyphics where it tells the same story as is recorded here in Second Chronicles 12. Mm. You know, these Bible stories are historical facts. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing I appreciate about these stories, Don. Uh, the, the sheer fact that what you get in the Bible is an incredible amount of detail. It's, it's so precise, you know, they're naming, you know, this king follows this king follows this king, this king fought this king in battle. And, uh, what you find when archaeology, uh, finally, uh, digs into the rocks, uh, you find that, well, actually, what they're saying, uh, is actually uh, correct. And, uh, you know, it's, it's of such minute detail that you turn around and say, yeah. hey, you know, this is uh, historically accurate and able to be trusted. And uh, uh, to me, when I when I look at that, I just simply say, wow, uh, we serve a wonderful God. You know, so often uh, people are prepared to uh, trust uh, sources outside of the Scriptures but not trust the Scriptures or the historicity of the Scriptures themselves. But once you start digging into the historicity, I well remember myself – as you have, you know, I've walked through the British Museum there, and of course, in the British Museum, you've got tablet after tablet after tablet, and uh, uh, you, you've got evidence that actually backs up the Bible. In fact, in my uh, library at home, I've actually got a book that was actually sold that I purchased at the British Museum. Uh, evidence uh, in the uh, British Museum confirming the Bible, you know, and I sort of look at this and I say, hey, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a pretty good thing to actually have put out by the uh, by the British Museum. Yeah. yeah. True, true. Don, look, it's that's... interesting. That I was just going to say, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, there were, there were many scholars who said, well, this is going to blow the Bible sky high. It'll show all the mistakes in the Bible. Yeah. And, and many of these scholars were really disappointed when, when the, what was in the scroll was almost exactly what's in our Bible today. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so the evidence for the Bible is, uh, is there in so many ways. Yeah, no, Don, really appreciate what you're actually sharing uh, there. Look, folks, let's come to some uh, some music. Uh, I love uh, Sandra Edelman. Uh, she's uh, singing the song here, uh, Let the Lower Lights uh, Be uh, be Burning. Uh, please enjoy Sandra Edelman, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from His light. How 
a beautiful message there is in uh, in that song, Sandra Ederman. Uh, let the lower lights be uh, be burning. That's what we're called uh, as Christians to uh, uh, to do. Uh, let the lower lights let the lower lights reflect the greater light. Uh, Sandra Ederman, really appreciate uh, the words of, of that song. Of course, that uh, fits so much the theme of uh, of this uh, this week. Now, folks, look, we do have a giveaway a book uh, for you now. Uh, the giveaway book uh, this uh, uh, this week is the Vanishing Protestant. Now you'll love this particular book. Now you know one of the things I'm really conscious of is that uh, uh, right now uh, Protestant churches uh, are almost uh, starting to, uh, to to move into a into total disrepair. Uh, they're almost becoming non-existent. Uh, the Vanishing Protestant by Charles Lawson uh, talks about the, uh, the the religious world right now, and particularly the Protestant world. It looks at that issue is the Protestant world, is it really needed? Now look folks, this is a, is a fantastic book, uh, it will challenge your heart as much as it will actually challenge your head. Uh, I, I'd, I'd encourage you uh, to uh, to request uh, this particular book, The Vanishing Protestant you can do that by texting us uh, here at our Drive Time Studio and that number is 04888 808811 04888-808-11. and all you need to do is uh, put a code in, just text us the code which is SA62. Now, there's uh, no uh, no gap between any of that, just SA62. And um, uh, that'll go straight to our robot. You won't be hounded by any people. Our robot will actually contact you. He will, uh, he'll ask you just a, a few questions so that we can get a few contact questions so that we can get this, uh, uh, this book to you in the fastest uh, possible way. The Vanishing Protestant, uh, a fantastic uh, little book uh, that talks about uh, the religious world in the day and the age in which we are living uh, right now. Uh, that number again is 04888-80811 and the code is SA62. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and today our co-host is actually live uh, on the line from uh, from Perth in West Oz and that's Pastor Don Felberg and Don for many years uh, worked with the uh, uh, as an Aboriginal re- regional leader uh, in uh, uh, the uh, the Western Districts of uh, of Australia. Now this week uh, we're also looking at the theme. Is Protestantism still needed in the third millennium? Now, there's actually been so many people out there. There's actually been significant religious leaders who have offered apologies for for Protestantism and suggested that it's no longer needed in our world. Uh, we would actually beg uh, to uh, beg to differ. And what we're doing over this week, next week, and the following week is we're looking at some of the heroes uh, of the Protestant Reformation. We're going to look at what they stood for and why they stood for what they stood for? What was the rationale uh, behind those things which they said and did? Is it still relevant for us today? Uh, now today, uh, we're asking, we're looking at a man entitled William Tyndale. Um, and uh, we're looking at the, at the question, why was this man hated? Now, Don, I'm just wondering, before we actually go into, in, you know, some of the things that he believed, can you tell us maybe the story behind uh, William Tyndale. When did he actually live and, and, and what's he known for? Because I'm conscious that, that many of us ha- have lost this uh, thanks to the process of, uh, of time. 
Who was this man, William Tyndale? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Gary. It's an exciting story and one that we should never forget. He lived, he was born in 1494 in Gloucestershire in England. And he was educated at Oxford, completed his BA around 1512, his MA around 1515. He was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest that same year in London. But while he was a student at Oxford, he came across Erasmus's translation of the New Testament. Now, Erasmus was one of the most brilliant scholars of the early 15th century, and he produced a Latin translation of the New Testament closer to the original Greek than the Latin Vulgate, which was the Catholic Church's official Latin translation of the New Testament. Now, Tyndale was excited by what he read in Erasmus's translation, and the gospel that he read began to change his heart. And as he preached, he, he would share the things that he had discovered from the Bible, and it caused a stir among the staunchly Catholic student body and faculty there at Oxford. And so he went on to Cambridge University where he completed his education. And then he returned to Gloucestershire and worked as a tutor in the household of a man by the name of Sir John Walsh. That was at Sodbury Hall. And there he mixed with local clergy who came to visit. Lots of prominent people came there to visit and he rubbed shoulders with them. And he heard of Martin Luther's writings. And tomorrow we're going to talk more about Martin Luther. But he got hold of these writings and he eagerly read them and compared them with the Bible. And with the Bible in hand, he preached there in Sir John's household and in the surrounding villages. But he saw a problem. He preached the Bible. He preached salvation by grace through faith. But then local clergy came along and contradicted the work he was doing and undid that work. And one evening at Sir John's, as he was discussing biblical truth with a scholar, the man became heated and shouted, we had better be without God's laws than the Pope's. And Tyndale's reply set his direction for the rest of his life. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plough to know more of the scriptures than thou doest. And so was born the idea of producing an English translation of the Bible. Mm. And so in 1523, he went to London and began translating the Bible. This was a risky business because just 100 years or so before, John Whitcliffe had translated the Bible into the English uh, language from a Latin text, and hence it had quite a few errors. And, and the other thing, it was never printed. It was costly to get a copy, and so only wealthy people could afford one. And on top of that, the church had made a comprehensive uh, prohibition against this Bible, they said that no one henceforth on his own authority shall translate any text of the Holy Scripture into English. 
And so, Pastor Gary, it was made illegal to use or distribute Whitcliffe's Bible. So it was with this backdrop that he begins to translate the Bible. Mm. Now, he thought, if I can get the Bishop of London, uh, Cuthbert Tunstall, to support this, I know he's a friend of Erasmus, he thought, if I can get him to back this venture, we'll be really going somewhere. And he had a meeting with Tunstall, but Tunstall was frightened of what a Bible in English would do, and so he refused to support him. Well, poor old Tyndale was penniless, and uh, he wondered what to do, but he believed that God had given him a task to do. And after preaching one day, a rich cloth merchant by the name of Humphrey Monmouth gave him accommodation. And he was there for six months, and he worked on translating the New Testament. But it was providential that while he was there, he got to know many wealthy merchants from Europe. Mm. And one of them took him to Europe in May 1524, because he believed that he couldn't really accomplish his task in England. He'd have to go to Europe to be able to do it. In fact, he said... Not only was there no room in my Lord of London's palace to translate the scriptures, but there was no room in all England. Mm. And so he was happy to go to Europe. But Pastor Gary in Europe, he had secret comings and goings. He had undercover meetings. There were narrow escapes. There were spies and agents and a traitor within the gates. Tyndale was in constant fear of detection and his life was in danger and strange because all he was trying to do was to translate and publish an English Bible. Well, he went to Wittenberg in Germany. He got help there. And by 1525, he had the New Testament completed. But then he thought, if I get it printed in Wittenberg, uh, that would uh, not be a good thing because Wittenberg, uh, because of Luther's works, was already uh, anything out of Wittenberg was suspected. So he went to Cologne in Germany, got a printer by the name of Peter Quentel lined up to print 3,000 copies of his New Testament. And these wealthy London merchants that he had met were paying the cost. Well, after printing the first two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, Spies found out what they were doing and the authorities stopped the work. And warnings were given to English seaports to block entrance of this pernicious merchandise. That's what they called the Amazing. And so Tyndale hurriedly gathered up his manuscripts and he hopped on a boat and escaped up the Rhine River to Worms. Uh, he employed a printer by the name of Peter Schaefer, who by the 11th of August, 1526, had printed 6,000 copies of the New Testament in English. He'd only been in Germany for two years, so <laughs> the work progressed uh, really rapidly. Yeah. Now, Humphrey Monmouth and his merchant friends from London now assisted. He had these Bibles. How is he going to get them to London? And especially when there was... Uh, you know, the, 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 what do you call them? The authorities were on the ports looking out for them. Yeah. So what they did, they hid them beneath bales of cloth, flour and other goods that these merchants were sending in. 
And so thousands of Bibles were smuggled into England. Now, a conclave of bishops ordered uh, that all that they burn all untrue translations of the Scriptures. And so many of his Bibles were seized and burned. Now, Tunstall, this Bishop of London, was appointed to track down where the Bibles were coming in. And uh, he... Um, he, he mixed among the merchants and made out he was interested in getting Bibles, but all he was wanting to get them for was to destroy them. But he was directed to a merchant by the name of Augustine Packington. And, uh, and Packington said, yes, I can, I can get you Bibles. Um, I can provide you with uh, whatever you want, providing, providing you've got the wherewithal. In other words, that you can pay. Mm. And the bishop thought, oh, good, I'll stop all the flower Bibles, I'll buy them all up, and then I can <laughs> burn them. <laughs> but anyway, the good money the bishop paid for these Bibles so he could burn them just helped Tyndale, Tyndale to pay his debts and enabled him to do a revised edition of the New Testament and helped him to be able to smuggle even more Bibles into England. <laughs> and when Tyndale was later put in prison, he was offered liberty if he would give the names of those who had helped him pay for the printing of these Bibles. You know what he said? He said the bishop had done more than any other person, he said, by paying large price for Bibles. <laughs> he enabled me to print them the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, sadly, he had to be on the run. His life was in danger from church authorities in England and some of his friends in England were burned because of their, their, uh, they were involved in circulating the Bibles. He continued working on translating um, the first five books of the Old Testament to Genesis to Deuteronomy and also the book of Jonah. Now an English ambassador to the Netherlands uh, where Tyndale was, he was at Antwerp, was issued with a directive uh, from the new Bishop of London with these words, Get Tyndale, dead or alive. Well, wow. a secret agent by the name of Henry Phillips was employed to track him down. He made out that he was a good friend, that he betrayed him into the hands of the guards and they captured him and took him to the castle of Vilvord, where he was imprisoned for 18 months. Mm. And finally, he was led out on the 6th of October, 1536, condemned as a fanatic, strangled, and then burned. And his last words that he uttered were, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And do you know, Pastor Gary, within a few years of his death, copies of the English Bible were placed in every church in the country by order of King Henry VIII. I would just like to say that Tyndale contributed as much to English language as Shakespeare and Chaucer provided, uh, providing the foundation for many of the translations of today. Mm. Much of the King James Version of the Bible produced 60 years later was taken almost verbatim from Tyndale's Bible. Phrases like, seek ye first, O death, where is your sting? 
The mm. spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They come direct from Tyndale. Yeah. And I have a little statement here. It says, The value of Tyndale's labors as a translator of the scriptures and a promoter of the Reformation in England has never been adequately appreciated. The millions who in all quarters of the earth enjoy the blessings of the English Bible owe him a debt of gratitude, for the authorized version has his for its basis. Mm-hmm. So that's just a brief little... I've left out a lot of the fascinating details, but that's a little brief uh, outline of this man's life, Pastor Gary. Yeah, look, Don, I really appreciate what you've actually shared there because, you know, uh, the Scriptures are something that certainly today uh, we take so much for granted. I mean, I think, you know, we can go down to any Christian bookstop and bookshop and we can get four or five of, uh, you know, four or five Bibles. We can give them away. We uh, They're there in multiplied numbers, and yet uh, to really realize that uh, that a man had to well many men had to seal their uh, their testimony with their lives in order to get uh, the book the bible translated into just that's just into english let alone all the other uh, world uh, world languages that the trans that that, that needed uh, translation you know as i look at this don yeah. i just simply say hey how easy it is to take something for granted and simply not appreciate the price that's actually been paid uh, for that translation yes so true so true it was a, it was a very costly enterprise yeah. But they did it because they did it because the Bible was so important in the hands of the people. Yeah, Don. Look, let's just uh, we we'll just stop there. And we'll just come to some uh, some music. But look, when we come back, I just like to um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about you know what are the implications of uh, of Tyndale's work and of his regard for the Bible for us today. So when we come back, let's let's talk about that. So let's come to some music. This is uh, Guy Penrod. Uh, he hideth my soul uh, beautiful uh, Christian uh, Christian hymn uh, from uh, from years ago
that is Guy Penrod. Uh, he hideth my my soul. Uh, what a powerful, powerful hymn that is. Uh, folks, we do have a giveaway book uh, for you today. The giveaway book is entitled The Vanishing Protestant by Charles Lawson. This is a real uh, ripper of a little book. It's not a big book, but it talks about the changes in the religious world that are occurring right before our eyes. My friends, look, if you don't, uh, if you haven't recognized some of the huge changes that are occurring in the religious world, uh, then uh, please have a look at this particular book. Our religious world is becoming more and more political and uh, uh, this is uh, this is so similar uh, to the church uh, of the uh, of the middle ages you know is protestantism is it still needed amen i believe it certainly is i will remember on one occasion i was at a uh, a meeting of uh, uh, interdenominational meeting and uh, i heard a person uh, um, a leader in another denomination in a uh, protestant denomination he he apologized uh, for the missionary efforts of his own denomination. I I was incredibly sad when I heard that. Uh, now, folks, look, if you uh, would like a copy of uh, this particular book, The Vanishing Protestant, it talks about our religious world right now uh, and uh, why the Protestant ethos is so vitally important. Just text us here at the studio. It's 04888 80811 and the code you need to uh, put in is SA62 and uh, that'll take connect you to, to our uh, to our robot and uh, uh, he'll contact you and ask you a few simple questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, possible uh, possible way uh, 08811 uh, and the code is SA62 also any comments or questions you may have uh, you're most welcome to also use that uh, particular text line it does come through to uh, uh, to us here in the uh, in the studio uh, now right now you certainly are listening to uh, faith FM drive time big Q a with pastor Gary and today our co-host is live from Perth uh, in West Oz uh, pastor Don Felberg uh, and Don he's functioned throughout his life variously he's been a, an evangelist he's uh, been a church pastor uh, he's uh, he's been the leader of uh, indigenous ministries here in Australia it is fantastic to to have Don uh, on board with us again. And of course, uh, this week, next week, and the following week, we're dealing with this subject, is Protestantism still needed in the third millennium? And we're going to be looking at some of the uh, some of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation. We're going to look at why it is uh, they took the stance that they stood on and why it's important for us today to have a very similar uh, beliefs. Now today we're talking about this man, uh, William Tyndale, and the translation into of the uh, of the um, scriptures into the English. And I really appreciate what it is that you've shared. That's an amazing story, Don. Uh, all that mm. uh, all that I've heard. Now, look, Don, can you just bring it together for us? We've got about uh, ten minutes left. Uh, but look, can you just tell us what does that story teach you today um, that we could possibly learn from? Well, I can just uh, picture Tyndale reading Erasmus's um, um, translation of the New Testament and there discovering that God was a loving God. He was a wonderful saviour, discovering the grace of God and the gift of salvation and 
And, um, you know, I think of the text in Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. I think it was his experience. It said, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I'm sure Tyndale's heart burned within him. And that's why he wanted to share this with other people. And he thought, I've just got to get this into the language of the people so that they can read this for themselves. You see, so much false information was shared on the on the religious um, platform. Uh, false religious teachers and uh, people wanted... Uh, they were wanted. Uh, they were asked to worship in ways that the Bible doesn't uh, require us. You know, for example, they were asked to pay penances and do all sorts of things. And Tyndale knew that if only they could read the Bible for themselves, they would see the error of these things, and uh, it would bring joy and rejoicing to their hearts, just like it had brought to his heart. And, um, you know, I think of the words of Jesus where he said, and it's so relevant here, Pastor Gary, he said, Jesus said, uh, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, they had to be able to read it. They had to be able to become familiar with it, to abide in it. And you shall know the truth. Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. And Tyndale believed this. If people could hear the truth, it would set them free from all of this error that had been promulgated and that just, uh, that just held them down. And he wanted them to be, to be free in Jesus. I think of uh, what Jesus said in another context about all of these traditions and teachings of men. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 3, he said, he talked to the religious leaders of his day, he said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition, he asked. Mm. And then he said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so there was so much of this uh, traditions being taught as the commandments of God and people were oppressed and held down and Tyndale knew that if only the scriptures could be opened to them and they could see see what God said, it would set them free and they would have joy and rejoicing in their hearts. Mm. I say, Pastor Gary, no wonder people were willing to risk their lives to get a Bible and uh, and to follow it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I love that passage that you actually uh, quoted there. You know, the truth shall set you free. You know, one of the things that I've discovered in my ministry is the more that you can actually impart truth to someone, the freer they become. You know, I've discovered that, you know, when they, when a, when a person discovers the truth about, you know, what the scripture says about death, it actually gives yeah. them hope uh, when they yeah. uh, when you discover the the truth about salvation uh, they actually receive peace you know they become free you know when they discover uh, the truth of can i say it 
the Sabbath, uh, they actually become free to rest. And, uh, you know, more truth, what I've discovered in my ministry, more truth equals more freedom. You shall hear. Absolutely. I love that particular passage. To me, it just says so much to us. And Christ is preaching something incredibly powerful when he says that. But look, Don, bring it all together for yeah. us if you, if you can. What else does I, it teach us? Oh, I was just going to say, never be afraid of the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. And I remember a lady in in Westbury in northern Tasmania when when I shared with her what the Bible says about the state of the dead. She said, oh, this teaching has just brought me so much peace. She said, it's taken the fear out of death. Exactly. And it, it does. The truth sets us free. It's, it's so wonderful to know Jesus and to know his truth. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Now, what was your question you were saying there? What? <laughs> yeah, Don, yeah, just just bring it all together for us. Is there anything else that uh, uh, you know the life of Tyndale uh, might yeah. might teach us? Well, I, I I can't help but read the text in Hebrews four and verse twelve. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. Yeah. You know, the Word of God is living and powerful, and though man and churches and institutions might try to get rid of it, they can't. God, you know, with Tyndale's life, I think of that text in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And there, providential leadings... um, were, um, providential leadings helped to get that Bible printed and back to the people. You think of the blessing of him there meeting that merchant in London who later was instrumental in smuggling in the Bibles back into England. Yeah. You know, God has his way. Man might try to stop it. That bishop bought all the Bibles thinking, I'll burn them. What he didn't realize, he just put more money into Tyndale's hands so he could print more. Yeah. Yeah. You see, God's word cannot be stopped. Man can try to stop it, but he can't wipe it out. It's it's living and powerful, the Bible says. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, Pastor Gary, uh, I'd like to share with you a few little things that the Bible does as recorded in Psalm 119. Lovely. Just quickly, I'll, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The Bible is what, uh, again, frees us from our sinful habits. Mm. Um, Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. And uh, there, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Mm. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you think of these things regarding the Word of God, no wonder you want it. No wonder people risk their lives for it. The entrance, verse 130, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding uh, to the simple. Yeah. Uh, verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Verse 165, great peace of those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Mm. Oh, when you, when you think about those things, 
that the Bible does, no wonder people want it. No wonder it causes them the joy and rejoicing of their hearts. Yeah, yeah. The freedom, the freedom that comes once you have access to truth. You know, for centuries, you had people bound in the dark ages. Uh, they were bound because they did not have truth. But the very moment the truth opens up, the truth actually makes them free. And, you know, to me, uh, this question that we're looking at, you know, is Protestantism. Why? What was Tyndale protesting about? He was protesting against the locking up of the Word of God uh, in 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 the monastery, in the church, in the in the intelligentsia, uh, you know, today uh, it's very easy for us to uh, run to run roughshod almost over the the word of God. We've got the word of God, but you know, it's very easy to actually not read it, to not spend time yeah. with it, to not digest it, uh, and yet the promise is there that uh, in understanding truth. There's actually more freedom. Uh, I, yeah. I I love what is uh, uh, what the scriptures do actually present there. Don, look, I'm just wondering, would you like to just pray uh, as we as we close? Would you like to pray uh, for uh, our our listeners if there's someone who might be struggling to come to uh, understand the truth of the scripture? Would you pray for that person? Sure. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this inspiring story of William Tyndale. We thank you that he was prepared to risk his life. Well, his life was taken to bring us the Bible. He paid the ultimate price. And Lord, we thank you for your word because your word is light. Your word is truth. Your word brings freedom. And uh, Lord, I pray for... For any listener out there today who is struggling with this topic, he, uh, I just pray that you'll help him or her to be able to, to know that your word is trustworthy and that your word will bring good things to their lives, that your word will free them from the things that are oppressing them and holding them down. Lord, I just pray that you'll help each one listening today to realize the precious preciousness of the Word of God and to read it and to apply it to their lives and to reap the benefits. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Don. Folks, it really does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor Don Felberg on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Hugh Heenan will be sharing with Pastor Don and they're going to be discussing why did Martin Luther cause such a stir? Now, of course, so much of the Reformation goes back to Martin Luther. Why did he cause such a stir? We really look forward to being with you then. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.